Hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of Game Store Profits. My name's Luke Navarro. And I am completely impressed that you put up an article on the Inroads site this week. I did. I think it's happened, you know, twice in history. <laughs> Literally twice. It was what you put yeah. up one of our first ones before we went live, and you put up nothing since then, and then miraculously, as if emerging from the fog of the holiday. Here comes an article from Luke. Yes. Uh, so you know, just so you know, folks, something that riled me up enough that I wrote an article about it. Check it out in Ministries dot com. <laughs> um, but uh, man, how you doing? How are things? I'm doing good. I'm fresh myself off of a road trip vacation down to North Carolina and back. So I yeah, I still barely remember what day it is. Right. I had, well, I'll be doing a similar thing over the next two weeks. Yeah, I had... I, I, had, I got two trips, so... I had two days of getting back to work. Because I couldn't... I, I just didn't have the vacation days to take these last two. So it was really hard to get motivated to do work. When you go on vacation, get back, and realize there is only two days until the weekend. Really hard. Yeah, to get that's that's a tough one. I I I totally will give you that. But other than that, the the trip was fantastic. I got to do a whole lot of gaming with my godsons, who I I literally haven't seen since I got married. Like they were at the wedding. That was the last time I saw them before this trip. So that was that was a lot of fun, and I got to to go down and visit them, and then we came back and visited a ton of Susan's family and it was it was really good. We got to celebrate the new year with them. So Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to be doing some training up north uh, for a couple of days and then we are doing a week-long Disneyland trip because because that's like what that. you do. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that is kind of what we do. I actually so this is an interesting it's kind of a, a tied in question. I've been trying to decide like what am I going to do? Because, you know, you know how it is. You go to the, a training, right? And you, you get yourself a hotel room and, you know, you're nine to five sitting there in a classroom, bored out of your gourd, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with getting absolutely useful information that you need to have. Right. But it's still, I mean, it's, you know, it's classroom kind of stuff. And I'm then, sorry. Even if it's stuff that you like, sitting in a classroom gets old. Right. And uh, then, But then evening comes around. I thought to myself, what can I do to entertain myself? What games can I pack? <laughs> exactly. So I think I haven't played Pathfinder in quite a while. I think I'm going to take the Pathfinder uh, adventure card game with me and run some solo missions on that, some solo uh, adventures on that. Um, but I've been kind of thinking, like, what else could I get? What else could I bring with me? And that made me realize that like I have almost nothing by way of solo gaming like solitaire stuff which you would think I would have a ton of because you know I live in the middle of nowhere <laughs> but I should be stockpiling this stuff <laughs> but I don't even know like off the top of my head any good or maybe great solo games I oddly enough I do have a couple all right tell me about them well, they're titles that I've already talked about in the past. Uh, I have Freedom of the Underground Railroad, 
which is okay. That's soloable. It's then... it is soloable. It is rough solo, but it can be done. And uh, I also have Imperial Settlers. Wait a minute. Which has a solo variant. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so how does that work? I haven't done it yet. I just know it exists. Okay. In fact, a person on Board Game Geek was actually running a solo tournament, which I don't know how that works, but I got the link in the tavern right now, so I don't know if that's still running by the time this episode airs. You can go and check that out. So it must be like a a points kind of a thing. Well, I think it has something to do with the attack cards that show up in the box. Uh-huh. Because I don't know what those cards are used for in a regular game. So I'm guessing somehow those cards do something. But again, I have Wow, not... we are super informative here. Well, that's the thing. I, I've only played my copy of Imperial Settlers, like, well, it, was, it wasn't once. We played multiple games back-to-back. But there was only the one time that I played Imperial Settlers so far. And I didn't. I played with my brother, so I wasn't playing a solo variant. So I don't know. That information so, is available at your local game store. <laughs> so I think uh, we we need to know, folks. What are your favorite solo games? I'd love to games? know because the next the next article that I want to run for uh, the site is me playing solo games. So if there's more of them that are out there, I, I want to get my hands on them because I want to. You yeah, know, play them I'll tell for you the what, man. I would love Pathfinder's great, but it's pretty involved. It I would seems love like it. <laughs> a small, and I, when I say yeah, that's hard now because small, I don't mean mini game. You know, tiny little card game. Right. I mean just small in terms of mechanics and idea. Solo game that's good. I think I'm. You know, other than like actual like you know solitaire and Klondike and. Free cell. <laughs> Do you have uh, you talk about solo games? Uh, this one actually, I would say that it's not. I don't know about best solo, but it is very easy to play solo, and it's kind of fun. Is uh, Dungeon Roll? I don't even know what that game is. Dungeon Roll was uh, it. It's pretty much a game that started on Kickstarter. It kind of became legendary on Kickstarter because before we had the term micro game. It was a small game that popped up on Kickstarter, and I think you could get the whole thing for something like 12 bucks. And it is a whole slew of little dice, and you're, it's pretty much a dungeon crawl. It's a press-your-luck dungeon crawl. Perfect. Where, you know, you roll a bunch of monster dice, and you roll a bunch of hero dice, and you have to match your heroes to kill all, all the monsters in the level. And you kept pressing your luck because, one, you you have to make sure that you have enough heroes to fight off all the monsters. And if you roll too many dragons, then all all heck breaks loose. It is a fun little solo game. The only reason that I don't praise it more than I do is because if you're... For me, if you're playing more than, like, two or three people, it gets a little long because you're just basically watching as one guy rolls dice. So you think it's actually better as a solo game? I would say I, I've played it as a solo game, and it's a ton of fun. It's a good way if you're just looking for something light to do. For a, you know, it doesn't take long to play a full game either. It's a really fun little game to just roll dice. I just they're good quality dice. And you know me, 
I love me some. You're dice. a sucker for some dice. I love dice. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, no, yeah, dungeon roll. It's a real cheap, real quality little game that is uh, almost ideal to play solo. Well, I uh, I'm gonna have to figure out how to spend some time, and then we'll be down in Southern California for uh, a week of Disney. But we'll probably take some games along with. I have played a ton of games since the beginning of the year. I haven't played a ton, but I've gotten in some quality time. So, I have uh, basically two sets of games. I'm going to let you choose where you want me to go. Two sets of games? This should be good. Where are they? Concepts. Okay. The first set is party games. Okay. The second set is freaking amazing games. <laughs> Gosh, I I wonder what I'll pick. I want to hear freaking amazing. All right. Well, we'll start with the amazing. Um, so should I tell the whole backstory? I kind of wrote about it in the blog. No, go read the blog. There you go. You can you can touch on it. Right. So suffice to say, I had a board gaming economic windfall. And I uh, reinvested that in my board gaming habit, as is our way. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, and picked up two games. Uh, the first is called Splendor. Now, not too long ago, we did that whole looking back on the year and listing the favorite games and the best games and things like that. If you just heard R2-D2, it's because I forgot (laughs) to turn off my phone. Sorry, folks. Uh, You know, but end of the year, us, along with every other podcast and every other website in the world, did the top games of 2014. And a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other websites put Splendor pretty high on several of those lists. And it would have gone on mine (laughs) had I played it. This game is amazing. It's the kind of game where, so far, I mean, I've owned it for less than a week. Played it probably 20 times. Wow. I have played it with grizzled, hardcore, beard-wearing wargamers. I have played it with newbie gamers. I have played it with complete non-gamers. And every single time, people are like, I love this game. In fact, I had a guy get up, walk over, and buy it. As you were playing? Well, immediately after we played, yes. That'll work. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about what Splendor is. Splendor, uh, the conceit of Splendor is that you are collecting gems in the hopes of winning the attention of some nobles who like your gem collection. That said, the theme is meaningless. Uh, It's just there because you have to have one. Okay? This game is extremely difficult to describe verbally, but you get it really quick when you play. Uh, There are uh, poker chips, essentially, that represent five different types of gems. Uh, basically five different colors, red, green, blue, black, and white. Uh, what would that be? A sapphire, a ruby, an emerald, uh, what's a blue one? That's a sapphire, I guess. Uh, <laughs> onyx, uh, diamond, yeah, that stuff. And then also there are some wild cards uh, that represent gold. Out in front of you is a 3x4 grid of gems for purchase. The higher they go uh, up on the grid, the more valuable those gems are. Uh, Each gem uh, has a cost that requires 
some combination of these chips. Uh, maybe the gem costs one of four different color chips, or costs three of one or and two of another, or costs nine of one, or whatever it might happen to be. There's a whole big variety of uh, possibilities. Each of these cards will then give you vic- may give you victory points, not all of them do, and a gem. Now this is where the theme kind of gets a little confusing. But the basic idea is you then begin set collecting and every, let's assume you bought a card that represents a ruby. Now, every time you need to spend a ruby, you get one discounted. It, in other words, it counts as a chip forever. Again, very difficult to explain, very easy to see when you see it on the board. Well, am I getting it right that basically in that, that grid of gems or whatever, you start out buying the lower ones, which allow you to buy the higher ones, which then right. allow you to buy the higher ones. So what this is, is it is a set building engine game, a set collection engine building game. Uh, so you are trying to uh, gather more gems in your collection. Those give you better buying power to buy the bigger and better gems that are worth more and more victory points. And uh, when you win over these nobles, they give you victory points as well. You play to 15 victory points. Describing it, looking at it, you will think, well, this is a dull game. There's nothing here. By turn two, every single person I played it with was like, oh, I like this. I And they are in, they are focused, and just just going. Uh Anybody who's listened to this show, anybody who's listened to me ever at all, played a game with me, knows what do I like. I like a single mechanism that is simple and deep. You know, the the Othello of board games. And this is what this is. Everybody gets it right away, but as soon as you get it, you realize there is so much there that can happen in just these little 12 cards and these little coins that you could play. And I, one guy told me, I could play this game all night long. It is awesome. Splendor is a forever game. It is never going to leave my uh, collection. This thing is one of those that it's going to be a couple of years from now in Target. It's going to be the game that people will play Ten years from now, yeah, I have not heard one person say anything bad about Splendor. Uh, pretty much universally, the review slash critique people of the internet have all spoken in one voice and say Splendor is amazing. You should buy it. Yeah, it's twenty five bucks. It's not an expensive game. It's a very simple game, but it's extremely well made. Uh, the chips are like actual clay poker chips. Uh, the box is well thought out. Thank you. I love well thought out boxes. It's great. Absolutely a win. It's one of those games like Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, Carsicone, Pandemic, that you will keep forever, play forever with anybody, and have a good time. Speaking of Pandemic, I also picked up Pandemic the Cure. 
Nice. That's another one I've heard a lot of good things about. So, we've talked about Pandemic on this show. We've talked about it to death. Right, and basically we said this is... This is one of the games that if you are starting gaming, or you want to teach somebody gaming... You, you should start pick here. up Pandemic, yeah. Right. Because it's got that, again, that universal simplicity deep thing, but also because it's a co-op game. Which means more experienced gamers can help less experienced gamers along. This also creates a bit of a problem that we call the alpha gamer. Yep. Okay, the alpha gamer is the one guy who tells everybody what to do, and basically, is playing the whole game by himself. You, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You want to do this and this and give Jimmy this. <laughs> right. So, Pandemic the Cure takes the idea of Pandemic. There are four viruses ravaging the world. And a team of specialists are coming together to try to fight these viruses. The setup is is pretty simple. There is a circular ring on which... Everything is tracked. Uh, inside of that, outside of that ring, I'm sorry, there are six uh, continents, six sections uh, marked by a die, one, two, three, four, five, six, on which the viruses and the live and the players move. The viruses themselves are represented by colored dice, four different colored dice, red, blue, black, and yellow. And the way this virus is spread is you roll the dice, you put that dice on the uh, appropriate number. Uh, the dice are not one through six dice. Each uh, color has its own combination uh, to make all of the gaming stuff work. Um, there's also a, another section, it's called the CDC. Uh, when you roll these virus dices... Dices? Did I just say dices? You said When you dices. roll these virus dice... Uh, occasionally a cross symbol will come up. You put those in the CDC. You use those as a type of currency to purchase good things. Maybe if you've played Pandemic, the airdrop, the the uh, one silent night, um, basically helpful actions. Each turn uh, plays out the same, very similar to Pandemic. But the actions are determined, instead of by a set actions that anybody can do, by dice. Each player gets a custom set of dice, which you know, I love. Love me custom dice. And uh, each player, again, has, a, has special abilities. So when you throw those dice, your dice are going to come out differently than the, another player's dice because you have different faces on your die. Not, not just because you have special abilities, but each different die has different mixtures of the possible outcomes. Uh, the, the universal outcomes are treat, move, and sample. Right? The basic idea is you treat diseases, they move into the treatment center, which is the center of the uh, middle circle. You capture those by collecting samples. It's a little pill bottle kind of thing. And when you've collected dice of the same color as samples, you can attempt to roll those dice, get higher than a 13. If you get higher than a 13, that disease is cured. If you cure all of the diseases before a series of bad things happens, you win. You also have some special abilities that will allow you to do other cool stuff. Uh, like every cooperative game, 
uh, when you throw your dices, you can get some negative rolls as well. They're called biohazards. Biohazards push up a bar that essentially moves you toward the end of the game and also increases the difficulty as you move along. Also, if at any given time there are more than three of the same color dice on one of the uh, six islands, if you will, there's an outbreak. Outbreaks are bad. They also count up toward the uh, end of the game. Also, if you ever run out of virus dice, you're out of the game. It's a cooperative game. But the cool thing about the dice rolling, I guess I forgot to mention, when you roll your dice, you can also press your luck. You can re-roll everything except for the biohazards. Um, But because your dice are your dice, it limits the effect of the alpha gamer. Yes, you still can talk about, hey, we need to go here, we need to do this, but because you're throwing dice you can't do necessarily what the alpha gamer wants you to do because you only get to do what come up on your dice you don't have those universal actions that everybody can do and you know exactly what's going to happen on the next turn you have to wait and see you know you might really want to move well you didn't get any movement dice you might really want to treat well you didn't get enough treatment dice do you want to re-roll do you want to press your luck and by individualizing what you can do, it it doesn't eliminate, but it does mitigate that alpha gamer. I'm going to say it's more fun than the original Pandemic. I think it's better than the original Pandemic. And, you know, it maybe is not a replacement necessarily, but if you don't have either game and you're thinking which do I want to buy, I would say buy this one. Yeah, the, the multiple dice just... It struck my fancy. I'm I'm really curious about it. Just it just seems like a, a neat way to progress what pandemic can do because because it's kind of the granddaddy of all things cooperative gaming. We all kind of know what we're doing. That even if you you're looking down the barrel of another outbreak, you, you kind of know long before the game is over. All right, we either won or we lost, and I know how that's gonna go. Well. So this is another one of those games where I I taught it, we played, somebody got up, walked over, and purchased it. So I've played the game twice. I, I've only had it a week, but I've played it twice. I uh, played once with my family. Uh, again, like, uh, well, I don't know if Pandemic does, but like a lot of cooperative games, there are levels. You can start on a basic level, a standard level, or a difficult level. Uh, when I played with my family, I played on the basic level, and we won the way you're supposed to win a cooperative game, which is, if the final throw went slightly differently, you lose. You know, it's right there, a hair's on a hair's edge, knife's edge, hair's breast, um, and you, you are just right there. When I played with the gaming group, we played on standard difficulty, and we thought we were doing awesome. We had one round... Toward the end of the game, we were close. We had, I think, two, maybe three of the diseases cured. Right at the end of the game, we had dice go bad. And that pushed things just far enough that we can no longer keep up with the tide of disease. And we lost. Um, To me, that's a great kind of... That's a great cooperative game. uh, Where you don't know ahead of time how things are going, where things can change on a dime. Uh, and it, it's a ton of fun. 
uh, absolutely worth playing for sure, and I think it's worth owning. There we go. So, before I get on to my party games, what were you playing? Down in, what'd you say? North Carolina? Down in North Carolina. The only thing I know about North Carolina is that's where Mayberry is from. I will also tell you it is home of some amazing barbecue. That's true. Okay, I did know that. So, and and because of the fact that while I was down there, well, a couple of days after we left, but it was close enough, my, my birthday happened. And, yeah, they took me out to Carolina Barbecue for my birthday, and I was a happy, happy kid. <laughs> nice. I didn't play it while we were down in North Carolina, but since the last time we talked, I have played Imperial Settlers, as okay. as I mentioned. I loved the game. It was my game of the year last year until Splendor came into my life. I, I don't know how the Romans can be good. I don't like them. Uh, I will I will say that I had a ton of fun losing, but oh boy, did the barbarians sack Rome. It was it was it's a blast. It's a really fun game. How do I describe do I even need to explain Imperial uh, Settlers at this point? It. We've it's, talked about uh, it before. Imperial Settlers is a card based engine building game. Right. With you... slight con- conflict, sort of. Right, and some nations being more conflicty than others. Yeah, the, the Romans and the barbarians. Right, right. But uh, no, it's I have a ton of fun with that game. I am curious to see how it plays single player. Like I said, I don't know how that works yet, but I know it is a thing. So I'm I'm definitely going to be looking to get into that one more. I didn't get a chance to really play a lot of my other new games that I got for Christmas yet because. I, I it just wasn't we weren't able to do that. I can say also that speaking of games I've obtained that I haven't had a chance to play yet, but I I do think that I'm going to be able to fix that this weekend. Uh, I've been teasing it for a while. I went to the mail the other day, and what oh. should be there but a oh. box from Funhill Games? I have oh. I have Kings of Israel. Oh my goodness! I live too far away. Yes, you do. <laughs> no, I I have Kings of Israel. I'm super excited to play it. I would love to spend more time telling you how awesome it is, but I haven't played it yet. Pr- more than likely by the time the next episode so, rolls so in out. So, other words, next episode is going to be largely about Next this. episode, you're <laughs> probably going to be grilling me about the awesomeness of Kings of Israel. All right. I I it's that's marked in my brain. It's going to happen. <laughs> I will say, though, that if nothing else, the hype for this, I don't know if it's just us hyping it or the fact that Lance and the good people over at Fun Hill have been really working their butts off, but I just threw up the picture of Kings of Israel and said, I need people to play this with. And sadly, none of my local people chimed in on it, but a bunch of people that I know through inroads were like, please, please, please bring this with you when you come to Gen Con so we can play. Right. Because, like all good gamers, we all plan for the next convention when all of us will get together. So, I have a bunch of people ask me to bring it to Gen Con with me. I fully plan on doing that. And, yeah, you'll get more of a report on that one from me when I actually crack it open. Awesome. Uh, I will I will verify, before I move on, I will verify that all of our thoughts about the fact that uh, the components are good... And it's actually a solidly built, well-constructed game. 
are 100% accurate. I opened up the cards. The cards are good stock. Uh, the board looks amazing. Everything looks good. That's good, because that really is a thing now. Oh, yeah. Like, like I didn't realize it. But <laughs> As you it, roll the Splendor chips through your fingers. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I don't have space in my life for badly built games. You know, I, I mean, we've got so many games now. It's little things. Rule books. Right. Boxes. Uh, component quality. You know, look, they're not going to make a bad game good, but they could make a good game A good meh. game, yeah. So, you know, these things are necessary, and it's also, like you said, the kind of thing that a Christian, see my air quotes, game <laughs> would have traditionally missed. Right. So, I, again, super excited. Good on you guys. Good so, on you. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. I will say that one of the things that I really liked about my... Uh, the trip down there was because I got to see my godsons and I decided that they are of an age where I can, you know, corrupt them like mm-hmm. a good godfather should. Yeah. Uh, I brought uh, just a ton of games and I actually ran a Numenera one shot for them. Wow. Uh, so how old are these godsons? They, they are, oh crap. Uh, Estimate. Elementary, junior they, high. They, they're young. Geo is, I want to say, five. Wow. And Gabe is 11 or 12, and I'm going to be a terrible person for not knowing that off the top of my head. It's okay. But, uh... I, you know what? I have my own kids, and I have to stop and do and the And you math. have to do the math. Okay, so... <laughs> but yeah, no, uh... Yeah, Gabriel and Giovanni, uh, they got to... I got to play Numenera with them, and they were super excited about it. Uh, Gio was just happy that I gave his character a giant hammer that he could hit things with. Excellent. And uh, I th- <laughs> Gabe, I think, is going to be running a game before long if, if I can get him the electronic copies of the, the books that I have. Uh, because he was super excited about it. And I also got to put into their hands a game that, as I've mentioned before, I actually just wrote... Both an article, I wrote an article for Game Church about it, and I wrote an article for our site about it. Uh, I bought them for a belated Christmas present, a copy of Once Upon a Time. Oh, nice! Yeah, one of your favorite games. One of my all-time favorite games, and it was really, it was amazing because these kids are super smart and super creative, and I'm not just gushing, you know, pulling the Godfather card on that one. Uh, they, they, they're like scary smart and scary, scary creative. And to put a game like Once Upon a Time into their hands at a young age (laughs) is just magical. And so to, to see them get really excited about gaming and like just little things, little things that, you know, since I've been in the hobby for so long, you just kind of get used to. Right. Just to see it from their perspective for the first time, because you know I've played games before with their parents, but to it's not to the same extent. It's not that that hobby level, and so these kids they they know games before they they play things like Catan and stuff like that. But 
I basically cracked open the door to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and just to see the look on their faces when I did that. I gave I gave Gabe his first set of polyhedrals. <laughs> I gave him his first set. I, I basically poured out the entire contents of my dice bag and said, you need seven of these and you get to pick which ones you want. And just to, to see the look on his face when, when he realized that, yes, I did say that he gets to keep them, was it was fantastic. And it was really... It was really neat to be on that side of the fence again with these kids, and we did other stuff like we we played, you know. I you know, throughout the trip, I can say that I played things like Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, we played. I played a bunch of games. A love letter. I played just a, a host of a Dixit. A bunch of other games got played throughout the course of that trip. But but playing with those kids and seeing their reaction to gaming again. It reminded me of why we do this. Like, it reminded me of, of just the the sheer joy of playing these games, and I love that. And I love the fact that I get to to share that with them as their godfather. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure I have told the story on the show before, so I won't go into the whole detail. But it was my uncle on a snowed in ski trip who showed me my first game. Right. And I still wish so much I knew what that game was but he's not around anymore so I can't ask him and but that's what got me into it and then of course later on when we got back home he showed me more and more and more and there you go but yeah so that that was my that's been my holiday like I said I'm hoping to get some people around in the near future to play some of these other games I've got a stack of games now that have not been played. I've got I've got a copy of Draco Magi that hasn't been played. I've got Trains. I've got Libertalia. I've I've got we we ran the contest with them. I've got a copy of Dubious Alliance that hasn't gotten cracked open yet. Uh, so I'm I'm in I'm in need of a game session, right. and hopefully that'll be happening soon. Well, uh, I have a topic I want to kind of hit here something I very rarely talk about on the show. I want to talk party games. All right. Yeah, that is now, that is a rarity for you. I'm going to guess that you are a big party game fan. I, I enjoy party games to a, a point. The reason I, I'm not more open to them is because of the fact that normally they're the only games that want to get played. Okay. So after a while, I kind of get burnt on party games. I'm like, man, can we can we do something with a little more meat to it? But as a rule, yeah, I, I love a good party game. As you might imagine, knowing me, I do not like party games. I just have I just have a vision of you sitting in the corner saying, "Why are we wasting our time with these shenanigans?" Yeah. Uh, so I do want to talk, though, about a, a series of of party games, and I may be pushing the boundaries a little bit here on the definitions, uh, but talk about some of why I don't like most party games and some games why I do, and then also just kind of introduce folks to some games. Uh, the first is probably the least party game, though, I don't know, you can tell me. Uh, it is One Night Werewolf Daybreak. 
uh, expansion to One Night Werewolf. I had a copy of One Night Werewolf in my hand, and I put it down. And I'm I'm still at odds with myself as to whether that was a good decision or a bad decision because I've heard great things about One Night Werewolf. Well, we know that you love Werewolf. Yes, I very much do. And you know, Werewolf and Mafia, same game, same game. Skin. Um, I you know, you only play them at parties or large events. Well, you need but it's not, like a bare minimum of six or seven people to play them. But it, but it's not the party game we tend to think of when we think of party games. We tend to think, for me, I think of games where you're kind of sitting around a table yelling things, which I guess you can do in One Night Werewolf, but... Uh, so, have I ever talked about One Night Werewolf on the show? I'm sure I have. We have. It's basically okay. a shorter version of Werewolf with a lot more craziness. I know we've brought it up at least. A lot of roles. Yeah. Uh, One Night Daybreak uh, adds even more roles. Uh, and I'm going to say... That unless you have played One Night Werewolf so many times that you've you've like mastered the meta game, you don't need you don't need this because this stuff is broken. <laughs> now I will admit I only have very limited experience with this two games. Both games were over almost instantly. Wow! Because the powers were such that people who know the game well. Just boom, 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 boom. Like, literally, one of the games, we were able to list out every single person and say who they were accurately. That's rare. Uh, The second game, the powers were so complex that the werewolves, me, were able to fool their way through. But it just got to the point where everything is so hard to follow that each of the powers either make themselves so powerful that they get so much information that you can easily decide who it is or so incredibly complex that it's just impossible to follow. Let me give you the one uber card that everybody's probably pointed to, but I'll do it too, and that is the Village Idiot. Basically, your role is determined by the card that you have. The card is played in front of you. The village idiot's role is to either do nothing or move every single card in the game to the left. Right. That's... Okay, you got to be like Stephen Hawking to follow that kind of logic. And it's just too hard to do. That said, if you haven't played a regular one night... Well, Ultimate Werewolf, I might have got One Night Ultimate Werewolf, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's a great game. I I don't like the expansion. Okay. Alright, so, let's get into some actual party game party games. The first one's called Five Second Rule. Okay, I've never even heard of this one, so... Somebody brought it. Uh, I assume it's the kind of game that you get at, like, Kmart. Target. Maybe Toys R Us. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I hate these games. I hate them so much. <laughs> so the, here's the game. You uh, There's a timer. The timer's five seconds long. Also sounds like one of those cow jars, you know, that when you turn it over, they go... They move. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, the player will, uh, one player pulls out a card. 
on the card it says list three whatever and the player to their left has five seconds to list those three things if they win they get the card if they don't the next person has a chance to do it not being able to use the things that are left over it's the kind of thing you would do in a car on a trip it's great on a car on a trip but not much fun but it could be fun but it's like the people who made the game didn't want to try not even failed it's like they just were like, ah, forget it. We don't care. <laughs> so the cards are like this, right? List three. Fruits. Okay. That's not very hard. List three. Animals in a zoo. Okay. List three. Sodas. Okay. List three. Barbara Streisand movies. What? <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> you know, it's like it goes from the ridiculously easy 90% of the time to 10% of, like, trivia pursuit level. And you're going around, and you're supposed to be laughing and having fun because it's a party game, and it's just not. It's stupid, and I don't like it. So, five-second rule. All right. The next one, Duck Dynasty, the game. Oh, this can't be good. I, this is actually mine. My wife got it for me for Christmas because I, th- I think because it was like seven bucks. Yeah, this can't knows, be good. And she knows I love Duck Dynasty. Okay, so ready for this? Ready? It is a roll and move game with a bit of trivia and a bit of party game mixed in. None of that sounds like it should go together at all. So basically you're moving around the board. Uh, it's... The goal of the game is to make it all the way around the board. You will land on one of three types of spots. One is a shortcut kind of a spot where you roll some dice, and if they come up according to whatever the rule is on the shortcut, you get to move. So it's a shoots and ladders, right? The second is a Duck Dynasty trivia question. And you can play one of two ways. You can play easy or hard. Easy gives you a multiple choice answer. Hard does not. You have to just answer it. And then the third is the uh, fill in the blank on a quote. And this is played kind of party game-ish. Where everybody, uh, the player whose turn it is, reads the quote. Says who says it. Reads the quote. There are some blanks in the quote. And then everybody at the table writes in what they think fills in the blank. The person whose turn it is decides if any of those are correct, chooses that one. If none of them are correct, says none of them are correct. And whoever is right gets a bonus roll. In fact, any time you do something correct in this game, you get a bonus roll, which just moves you farther along the board. The goal is to make it all the way around the board. First person to get all the way around the board wins. Tell me, should this game be good? No. No. And yet... It's quite fun because it's silly. Okay? These are what these games are supposed to be. I was about to say, that is the nature of party games. They're supposed to be silly. They're supposed to be fun. You should be able to play them with whiskey. <laughs> you know? I own Quelf. That, that, that is a game that if you cannot be serious and play Quelf, you will hate it. Okay, so if you are a redneck who loves... Guns and beards and 
you've got a f- bunch of friends who are the same way. It's really fun. It's a still stupid design. I'll give you that. It could be way better in terms of design. But again, design doesn't matter that much. It's a party game. So uh, just one little thing, though. If you want to make this game better, instead of using a D6, use a D3. Because the D6 on a 40-space board adds in way too much variability. You use a D3, then you've got to play more to win. I, much more fun. I, I just... I. It's the Duck Dynasty game. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that it's for everybody, but if you're a fan of the show and you want a party game, it's a winner. I'll keep that in mind. So, that gets me to my final party game. Again, could be breaking the rules a little bit here, but it's a game that we kind of mentioned before called Super Rhino. Or yes! Rhino, or Rhino Hero. Best way to describe this game, it is Jenga with cards. And a rhino. And a rhino. Basically, I won't go into all of the details, but you have two kinds of cards. You have roofs and walls. Uh, Everybody gets five roofs to start the game, and walls are communal. On the roof, there is a wall diagram. You must put up, on your turn, you must put up the walls according to the wall diagram and put a new roof on top which then the next player has to follow that diagram and put a new roof yeah. on top. We, we mentioned little, this, we mentioned this in the, I think it's for the last episode. Somewhere in there. It, it's little, basically Jenga the card game. Right. The little twist is, there's also a rhino meeple, who is a very substantial meeple. Not just a regular meeple, this is meeple. It's a rhino. <laughs> it's okay. And... Occasionally, you have to pick that rhino out of the building and put him back up on the top of the building. And you build up and up and up and up until it falls over. And there are rules for who wins, but it doesn't matter. It's just freaking awesome to do. Everybody I have played this game with, and I have played with quite a few, love it. Okay, this is the kind of game where people are up squeeing while playing. S-Q-U-E-E-I-N-G. Maybe. <laughs> There's a grammarian in me saying, that can't be right! <laughs> but <laughs> but people are up. They're, they're focused. They're, they're huddled over the board. They're making sure nobody touches the table. They're clenching their fists. They're... It's awesome. You have a great time. You bond together. It's fun. It's a that's what a party game should be. Not drawing stupid pictures or listing out the names of animals or whatever. <laughs> this is the kind of game. It's a kids game, right? I I'm sure that when they made it they thought kids game. But everybody I've played, adults included, love it. Because I mean, let's what is it? It's an impossible task that you're trying to It's a shared impossible task. That's awesome. Yeah, I I mean, I I would not necessarily classify it as a party game, but I get what you're saying with the vibe of of Super Rhino. I I get it. Because I can just... I I think one of the things about party games is you don't have to keep score. Oh, yeah. You're just doing it for the experience of doing it. Well, that's... I play the game Snake Oil, which is a very entertaining party game. I've never kept score in a game of Snake Oil. 
because it it almost seems silly to keep right, score. Because who cares? Yeah. Right? It's like, do we want to do it again? Yes, we want to do it again. We, we basically, <laughs> the last time I played Snake Oil, we played until we wanted to stop. That's basically, <laughs> we just kept on going until we felt like stopping. So, you know, at Game Group, we were playing Super Rhino. And eventually, I start kind of collecting the cards and putting them in the box. And you could see everybody looking at me kind of sideways like a sad puppy. Like, really? You're putting it away? Why are you putting it away? You know? <laughs> because, and the reason I was putting it away is because the other group was done with their game, and now it was time to reshuffle, right? Right. But, but like, they looked at me like, why, why are you doing that? Why, why, why can't we do this more? You know? And that's what a good party game is. You know? And we talk about it a lot. There's a whole lot of reasons why we believe there's overlap between Christianity and board games. But it is that bonding moment that, to me, is the most significant. And maybe that's just my personality, maybe it's just my experience, whatever. For other people, it might be other things, and that's great. The cool thing about God is he has his way of working his way into just about everything. But for me, it is that bonding moment, that connection. And, you know, when I played Super Rhino, uh, I was playing with three people I'd never once met not to mention played a game with. And, you know, by the time we were done, it's like, hey, we're friends now. And, you know, we have those kind of experiences. And I, I know this is going to sound like a really strange connection, strange uh, uh, analogy, but to me it feels like a mission trip. Okay, that uh, is a strange analogy, but I, I think I know where you're going, but just explain it. Well, and it, you could also maybe use camp and that kind of thing, but... but Oftentimes, especially on a short-term mission trip, you go and maybe you do really helpful things for people, and you have the opportunity to share the gospel. But for but even the missionaries who are out there know short-term mission trips are more for the sake of those going on the trip than they are for those being affected by the trip. It is a opportunity to enter into a uh, an experience that takes you outside of your comfort zone and you do it together you bond together you're stretched together you're strengthened together and you come back now there's in no way that I'm saying playing a board game is as profound an experience as going on a mission trip it's not however it is the same dynamic and it's a lot easier and it happens on a regular basis and you know it can happen within your own home maybe with a your your spouse, your kids, it can happen with your buddies, it can happen at a game group. You build this sense of camaraderie that so often we miss nowadays. You know, in the past, we had a much more local life. Today, we have a much more distributed life, which we're very glad for because we're talking on a podcast to the internet to people we've never met. <laughs> but that camaraderie is still something we need. We need it down deep on a spiritual level. We need it even, I think, down deep on an emotional and physical level. We need that connectedness to others. And great board games build that experience. And I I know I've tended to talk about cooperative games today. I guess Splendor wasn't, but... And in a sense, party games are cooperative. Even if you're playing against each other, you have to cooperate to have that experience 
one person who's not into the vibe of the party game, and that party game's going to suck, no matter how good it was designed. Oh, yeah. How well it was designed. Boy, I can't talk today. You have to cooperate to enter into that experience. In a similar way to maybe and worship in a smaller group, uh, you're cooperating together to enter into worship. And, you know, this set of relationships is powerful. And I, I guess maybe that's part of the reason why I don't like a lot of party games, is because it, it seems so trite and so empty. Like, you know, there's nothing that draws in a, a person or a connection uh, in a lot of party games. There are a lot of great party games, don't get me wrong, where you really are laughing and learning about each other, and, you know, every once in a while something super profound happens. And it's great, but uh, it's not five-second rule, just so you know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I get that, too, because I, I I have a friend who loves to do the typical thing. When, you, when you're bringing multiple friend groups together for occasions, you, you're trying to blend these groups. Now, you can let that occur naturally, or you can throw it into a blender and do what is called a get-together game. And... I what do, what do we used to call them when we were when I was a youth pastor? There was a name for them. Icebreakers. Icebreakers. Thank you. God, I'm old. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was a youth pastor too. We, <laughs> we yeah. And and I hate these. I hate them. <laughs> this is me speaking as the guy who in multiple youth ministries, whether I'm in charge or just random leader volunteer A, I have always been the game guy, and the games, are, they're just bad. Their icebreaker games are just bad, because it the whole thing is to, you know, break down barriers and get people, it, it, they don't connect anyone. They basically make people look silly and goofy. Right. In, you know, it, the, the mutual shame <laughs> is what these games do. And you're dead on. You're dead on. And you know, I mean, granted, there's a there's a time and a place for that. Like when I'm playing with my buddies, like I said, I own Quelf. That is a game of mutual shame. If you're playing that with strangers, you're a better man than I, and I'm a world class extrovert. And even I won't play Quelf with strangers. <laughs> so, is that what it says on your business card? World world class extrovert. <laughs> um, but yeah. There, there's something that that comes from that that deeper experience, and and that's what good party games do. That even after it's done, you're not like pointing and laughing and say, "Ha ha, that guy, that guy who I can't remember his name, he did that silly thing." You know, it it gives you that kind of moment with another person, and I don't know, there is something deeper to that. I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know if but it's we deep. all know what you mean, right? It's the same moment that happens when you're on a sport team together and you win. Or you maybe don't win. Just something great happens. It's the same thing that happens when you are at a church work day and there is a giant tree branch that needs moving and 12 guys are under their straining trying to get it out. Right. Same thing. 
And yeah, there's something there's something that unique that happens there, and I think a good party game does that. A good party game reaches out to that. It doesn't look to be goofy or silly because none of us like doing that with strangers. There needs to be that level of familiarity before that becomes a fun right. way to spend an afternoon. But there's all sorts of games. Like, one game that I, I can't wait to get into my hands, I haven't played it yet because it was part of a Kickstarter, and they, they do have print-and-play, but I just haven't had a group big enough to warrant doing the print-and-play version. Sure. I I can't wait to see what happens when I get two rooms and a boom. Right. Because the whole the whole point of two rooms and a boom, now granted... One could make an argument that it's silly and random, especially if you bring in cards like the zombie and stuff like that. But really, it's forcing you to walk up to somebody and say, hi, who are you? Hey, what are you doing? And it gives you that that moment afterwards and say, oh, yeah, remember when this this situation happened? Like, I'm trying to remember the cards from this game. Uh Remember that? Oh, in the last move, the president got moved and all of a sudden we all lost. Or... Or, oh my goodness, that time when we thought that the game was going to be cut and dry, but they, they put in Moby Dick and Ahab, and they ended up winning! Ah! Like, there's there's a difference. And it is a tangible difference when you have a moment that is, is remembered by everybody versus that moment where everyone points at somebody and says, you did a stupid thing. And a good party game, and a good everything, really, should never isolate one person and do the whole schadenfreude thing where it's like, eh, we had a lot of fun because Bob was an idiot. It's about bringing them together. Right, it's it's about, it's not about isolation, nor is it about required interaction. Uh, you know, this is one of the things that as a church leader, I struggled with all the time. You And you mentioned earlier, you know, this idea where you get, you're getting together groups of friends. Well, it's the same thing as a church. And especially if you have a, a little bit of a larger church, you're getting together for an event or whatever. A whole lot of people who don't know each other. And like you said, you know, the, the traditional way to do it is the icebreaker kind of a thing where you're forcing people to have these meaningless interactions and saying, well, that builds fellowship. Well, no, it doesn't. It builds awkwardness. It builds awkwardness. <laughs> like, why are we doing that? Uh, but the shared experience of having, of playing a game together, or whatever, whether it's a party game or not a party game, but the shared experience of doing something together having a moment together does build fellowship. And that's what we're about on this show and what we constantly preach. Yes, there are other things. We can learn about our spirituality. We can learn about sin. We can learn about grace. We can learn about all kinds of stuff through board games. But for me, that moment, that building of fellowship, that experience that happens is what board games are all about. And uh, hopefully what this ministry is all about and folks, we are so thrilled that you hang out with us in this digital way. And uh, and more and more, I think, in the future, we're going to be in physical ways as things grow with the Inroads Ministries. If you want to know how that is happening, you can go to Inroads Ministries, 
com. Check out what we're doing there. Yes, read the blog from me. <laughs> uh, I threw up our... one too this week, so so you check out all of our contact stuff. Uh, check out all of the events we got going on. Uh, also, head over to the tavern, which is not just us. It is all kinds of people throwing in content, asking questions. I love that. Ask questions because people answer them, and they're good answers. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. People are asking for prayer. People are asking this and that and getting together and playing games together. And it's great. We have people all over the world talking together about games. So go and do that because it's cool. And, uh, you know, definitely get together with your friends, play some games. And when you do, remember... That God is the game master, no matter how the dice fall, the game plays 